Hey everyone, this is Kyle Wildner Higney, your host for the Outcomes Rocket Pharma Podcast. In the Pharma Podcast, we dive into all the nuances of the pharmaceutical value chain. We highlight and speak with leaders and the entities that comprise the pharma value chain health plans, PBMs, manufacturers, wholesalers, pharmacies, and innovative pharma tech companies, discussing the current trends and the opportunities in the value chain that they see today. My goal is to give you, the listener, the opportunity to hear from the individuals that are shaping the pharmaceutical value chain. And with that, I'm very excited to welcome Tai Chung to the podcast today. Tai is currently Director of Partnerships and Deputy General Counsel at Medulin which was recently acquired by ZS Associates. Ty is passionate about consulting for and partnering with companies that are diving deep in the clinical trial, decentralized and hybrid clinical trials, companion app, digital health and digital medicine, digital therapeutics, sensors, software as a medical device, and wearable spaces. Uh, you can see that there's a, quite a bit of expertise that he brings. Prior to his current role at Medulin, he served as a senior strategic advisor on the healthcare strategy and transformation team at Blue Cross Blue Shield, North Carolina, where he bridged different expert stakeholders to arrive at pragmatic partnership product and policy solutions. Prior to that, he was on the legal team for an orthotic and prosthetic manufacturer. He currently serves as a legal and diversity columnist for AboveTheLaw.com, He's an executive board member for the Pipeline to Practice Foundation, an Asian American Advisory Council member for Congresswoman Eddie Bernice Johnson. He received his JD from SMU, Deadman School of Law, MBA from the University of Chicago Booth School of Business, and a BA from Michigan State University. So welcome, Todd, to the show. Great to have you. Thanks. First of all, thank you for having me, and I'm elated to connect today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And to kick things off, I'd love if you could just tell me about yourself. What attracted you to healthcare, and what specifically drew you to the pharmaceutical value chain? Sure, sure. First of all, I'm currently the director of partnerships for ZS Medulin, which ZS just uh, announced its alliance acquisition of Medulin a few weeks ago. So that's that's a really exciting time for us. Uh, healthcare has always been uh, pretty front and center in my life. I grew up in a in a food desert. Uh, social determinants of health issues abound for the area I grew up in in Metro Detroit, uh, about on eight and a half mile. And healthcare was always an issue that impacted the people most closest to me. Medication adherence has always been an issue that has hit close to home as my mother was diagnosed with schizophrenia in her late 20s, early 30s. And I know the consequences of improper dosing or lack of, of adherence to a prescribed plan. So it's something that I've always thought about, but it, I became acutely aware of it in 2014 when my father was diagnosed with brain cancer and passed away a few months later um, after his first chemotherapy treatment. And in those couple months, I really got to see up close inefficiencies and the gaps in our healthcare system. What specifically drew me to the pharmaceutical value chain is a lot of the work we were doing at Blue Cross North Carolina on value-based care and alternative payment models, whether it was CKD, SRD, or diabetes, or cardiometabolic, MSK, tobacco sensation, whatever it was, Rx was always a critical component for how we wanted to aim at the quadruple aim of healthcare. So that's what really drew me into the pharmaceutical value chain. And now at Medulin, a lot of what we focus on is the digitization of the pharma business, whether it's companion apps, combination products, software as a medical device, or even patient support programs, uh, as well as decentralized clinical trials. Yeah, there's a lot of innovation going on in that space, a lot of exciting new products and services being offered. I guess one thing I'd love to hear is just about your day-to-day. What do you enjoy most about your duties 
And what do you think that your company, Medulin, does outstanding or you know, perhaps a bit different than its competitors? Yeah, that's a good question. I'd say I really enjoy the pollination and the cross-pollination I'm able to conduct and carry out on a daily basis, uh, whether it's different buying centers, subject matter experts, or key stakeholders. It's really neat connecting uh, disparate parties and learning from the various viewpoints in the value chain or ecosystem, untangling the Gordian knot of market access or commercialization, especially when it comes to these new transformational digital initiatives in healthcare and pharma has been a profoundly unique experience. It's been great introducing different strategic concepts, frameworks, processes, and scaffolding for the digitization of that, you know, that steadfast traditional regimented culture. In terms of what I really like about uh, where I'm at now is, I guess if you, you look at HubSpot CEO Dharmesh Shah's uh, quote, culture is a product you build and your people are its customers. And that uh, you, th- you should think about and treat your culture like you would a new product line. You know, obsess over it, put the same amount of effort and focus into creating, you know, happy employees. And, and that would be uh, create happy customers. And the best perk is meaningful work. And the second best is amazing peers. And I really align with that quote I read often because I I think at our firm, which has been rooted in digital for 16 years now, where we had originally focused on peers and providers, and now we're focused on pharma and the life sciences. When digital or decentralized approaches form the foundation of everything you build, I believe it really gives you a leg up when you're talking to different sponsors, to different clients, different SMEs about anything, whether it's value-based care, digital health, decentralized trials, clinical evidence generation, or reimbursement. Um, I think it really takes hold and forms the root of creating the necessary scaffolding you need to succeed in this new new world we're facing. At the end of the day, I want to be surrounded by individuals who don't just fit the culture, but they further it. And I think I've done a good job of really having the opportunity and joining high-performing teams who are all rowing, rowing their, their boat uh, to the same North Star. Now that makes a lot of sense. I mean, the culture is so key inside a company. One thing I'm I'm curious from your perspective, you know, Medulin has been building digital solutions for it sounds like 16 years and has kind of transitioned or has been focused on the pharmaceutical value chain as of late, specifically pharmaceutical manufacturers. I guess what are some of the challenges kind of getting pharma manufacturers on board or communicating the value of digital strategies? Yeah, I like to um, think about a quote uh, that Mark. Twain has famously said, you can't depend on your eyes when your imagination is out of focus. And I think when it comes to pharma or, or anyone who's been you know, in business in the pharma value chain for quite some time, they have a very prescribed linear process. Their main aim is to reduce risk, is to reduce errors, is to avoid uncertainty or deviations. And, and I think when you think about digital, when you're thinking beyond the pill initiatives, you have to iterate. You have to be agile. You can't just solve for reducing errors or uncertainty. You have to solve for driving new insights. And Gary Klein's book, uh, Seeing What Others Don't, uh, you know, organizations often suppress insights because of forces locked deep inside their DNA. You know, understandably, they value predictability. They recoil from surprises and they crave perfection or the absence of errors. You know, a lot of time, energy, and resources are dedicated to executing and tinkering with the plan that's laid out, the work sources, the schedules. It's not allocated to developing insight. And we're thinking about a new omni-channel, high-tech, high-touch approach. You have to have a team dedicated to delivering in a different form or fashion. 
It's an order of magnitude difference. When you're taking a risk-based approach to a companion app or a combination product, something that's inclusive of whatever you're delivering chemically, but supplementing it by, you know, going after the iron triangle or really going, understanding the patient journey, um, doing the research. And, you know, obviously jobs are easier by being captured by the lure of predictability, but the but insights are the opposite of predictable. They're disruptive. They come without warning. They take forms that are unexpected. And you can really open yourself up to unimagined opportunities if you get into the wild, if you are exploring with that playful, curiosity-driven mindset, if you're iterating, if you're launching proofs of concepts, launching pilots, coming up with that minimal, minimum viable product, having faster cycle times when it comes to launching, and understanding there will be failure along the way. And every pilot or proof of concept isn't going to be life or death. But understanding what are you trying to solve for and taking a risk-based approach to solve for that. I love it. I love it. I imagine that's a huge culture shift within you know, pharmaceutical manufacturers. Many of them are you know, highly innovative, but have been innovating along you know, developing new molecules or assets specifically. And now they're kind of being challenged to think about how do we provide services that wrap around those assets to really, as you put it, kind of go beyond the pill. Yeah, yeah. My colleague, Pete Maslowski at ZS, he, he had a recent interview with Shalisine uh, at uh, Eli Lilly and Melinda Decker at uh, Miami about digital health. And they talk about, you know, the historic processes that they know how to get drugs to market. They know the risks and problems they'll face. They know how to launch and do a big reveal all at once. For a blockbuster drug, but that digital health is a more iterative process. You have to get comfortable with that MVP, putting something out there. It's not optimal necessarily, but the intention is to learn from it, to learn from the customers, to make adjustments and to stay agile, iterate and improve. And that's, it's an ongoing process. Uh, you're really doing something different. And so it's going to be harder to handle. The competition can come from anywhere. It's moving quickly. And so you have to align the right people in the room. You know, with traditional pharma, competition is very specific, but with digital therapeutics, the competition could come from anywhere. And it's all oftentimes an integrated uh, ecosystem that you're playing in and that you have to partner to really understand the patient journey or to really improve uh, the longitudinal journey of a patient going through the healthcare system or going through their own chronic condition. Yeah, you said it great. That makes a lot of sense. So Ty, I uh, was doing some research on you kind of in preparation to have you on the show. And I saw that you recently hosted a, a webinar focused on pharma. Maybe for the audience, you could just kind of give a brief overview of what you covered and what were some of the key takeaways. Yeah, yeah. The webinar had about 50 plus pharma participants. They're mainly focused on market access and commercialization for Beyond the Pill initiatives. It was kind of a, a three-legged stool of, of focus. One was value-based care. The second was digital therapeutics. And the third was data or, or collecting you know, new novel endpoints, garnering new data insights, becoming a high-tech and high-touch type organization. But it was rooted in, in that reimbursement when you're thinking about the Beyond the Pill initiatives. And right now, digital therapeutics, the regulation is behind a reimbursement. There's no national scale. For reimbursement right now, you're trying to fit your digital therapeutic into a prescription reimbursement channel or a traditional medical benefit channel like durable medical equipment. And so one other way to gain reimbursement is value-based care or an alternative payment model. And what that takes is 
understanding the, the six P's, uh, stakeholders in the value chain, patients, payers, providers, plan sponsors, policymakers, and pharma. And I, when I refer to pharma, I say digital builders, because oftentimes when I find the most appetite or the most demand to learn about value-based care or alternative payment models in the pharma value chain is when it comes to digital therapeutics. I don't find it as much on the molecule side Although I have seen it, I've read about it, I get excited about it, I just haven't seen too many deals done thus far. And so when you're thinking about the quadruple aim of healthcare, better outcomes, lower costs, improved patient experience, improved clinical experience as well, how can you solve for improving those four aims by leveraging data and making sure that not only are you adding value to the market, you're capturing some of that value. And what's really neat about digital therapeutics, it, inherently, it's a data play. For the first time, a lot of these pharma sponsors are going to get original primary source data directly from the patient. Um, in the B2B to C model, you're getting access to that data in real time. You can run the data in real time. You don't have to run, you don't have to wait for a claims run out or a claims lag to analyze the data. You can see what's happening in real time and, and understand it and, and drive analyses from that and iterate based on that. And so I think between data, digital therapeutics, and that alternative payment model, there's going to be a much, much larger market than what currently exists. And when I think when people think about digital health, it's oftentimes just the consumer channel, how to find a provider, how to schedule appointment by telehealth. But there, we're in the early innings and there's so much more that can be done to drive that medication adherence or to improve the patient experience when they're dealing with with your brand, your product, your solution. Yeah, I mean, we're kind of in early innings, as you put it, where pharma is just capturing the data, right? And collecting it through these new channels, these new digital solutions. And then I anticipate that similar to what we've seen in other areas of the healthcare kind of space, there's gonna be a whole nother kind of industry or, or sector that's focused on sharing that data and making sure that, you know, the, the data that pharma collects is, is similar to, or at least passed to the health plans for reimbursement, depending who that would be, and then also providing it back to the patient as well. Do you feel that there's starting to be some solutions for that data sharing uh, piece within the pharma value chain yet, or is that still kind of TBD and, and will be developed? That's a good question. I, I think <laughs> um, I have lots of war stories about data sharing agreements, uh, <laughs> to, to be sure. I love what some of the trade groups are doing, um, whether it's Dime or, or Digital Therapeutic Alliance or Health Excel, and them talking about data agreements and them wanting to create a uniform contract template for the sharing of data in these proof of concept or pilot type programs or in a value-based care arrangement. I think that's super exciting because to your point, right now, when we think about data, we're just using it to describe what had happened. I think when you think about the time horizon of how we can best leverage data, it's going to go from you know description, descriptive to predictive. So it's going to be able to predict when someone you know is going to drop out of a trial or someone is going to you know, miss their prescription or not adhere or fail their doses. So it's going to help you predict, have those insights. But then the third time horizon, when you think about data, is it's going to actually be prescriptive. It's going to say, oh, your chest hurts. You should do this. You know, obviously, 
AI ML is all going to turbocharge that a bit, but there's always going to be an HCP helping to make those decisions or, yep. or it's going to assist the HCP. Kind of like uh, driving a car, you can have that assistive technology to parallel park. Um, you're going to have a lot more of that that can be garnered from the data. And, and that's why I don't even think we've you know, tapped 5% of, of what we can do with data. And that's why I always make sure when people are thinking digital therapeutics, they're thinking of it as a data play, because at the end of the day, that's going to be the most valuable part of this new digital revolution. And a lot of people say data, you know, in and of itself is like oil, it's the new gold, but it's really the curation of data. That's the, the primary driver of value to the market of healthcare. Ty, you're getting me excited over here. I mean, there's just so much opportunity, it sounds like, for the pharmaceutical value chain to really adjust and provide more solutions for patients, right? To get better care and to drive outcomes. I guess one question yeah. I have for you, when we scale out a little bit, right? Not just thinking about kind of pharmaceutical manufacturers, but even more holistically, the value chain, right? The supply and the demand side. What are some of the most interesting aspects or trends that you're seeing in the pharma value chain today? Yeah, yeah. So when, when the trends are, they've been captivating me, especially over the last, I would say, 24 months, um, the activity we're seeing, the amount of investment we're seeing, the amount of different leaders of different fields joining healthcare, joining pharma, focused on that B2B to C model, focused on the collection of data to get that feedback feedback loop for it to drive innovation and iteration. I, I just read the other day, you know, the top four most valuable digital health benefits to employers are apps for finding a provider, portable electronic records, telemedicine, and, and wearables for condition tracking. And that wearables for condition tracking, if you just remove wearables or sensors and you just think about condition tracking, I think we haven't even I think we have so much more to go on that. I think the maturation in that space is so young. When we think about novel endpoints, when we think about that prescribing, that predicting ability or capabilities that data can bring, I'm very excited about that trend. I'm excited about, I'm fired up about transparency and regulation to the pharma value chain. You know, um, former associate SCOTUS Justice Brandeis said, sunlight is the best disinfectant. Uh, I think when it comes to the value chain or PBMs or, you know, these contracts, the flow of data, reimbursement or rebates, it's a Byzantine model. It's a draconian infrastructure. A lot can be approved. You know, I, I think about, you know, the medallions for taxis or any kind of monopoly type practices that once the market can see, once there's transparency and it's clearer, and you can come up with, you know, win-win solutions, one plus one equals five type solutions for all stakeholders yep. in the value chain. So removing that asymmetry of knowledge and you're really, here's the data, both sides can see it. Now, how can we best leverage the data to improve, you know, the system? Because the system is fundamentally broken as we know it right now. And we're seeing things in regulation, whether it's anti-kickback statutes, safe harbors, point of sale chargebacks. We're seeing new regulation on the horizon that will fundamentally change reimbursement and rebate for pharma, for payers, for providers, for the pharmacist. Legislation that's aiming to make the pharmacy whole. I think we've needed that for a long time, but also you can finally give value or remuneration to the patient, not having to worry about this regulation that would deter someone from incentivizing the patient to do the right thing. And when you yep. can incentivize the patient to do the right thing, you can leverage those you know, psychology, behavioral science, behavioral economic principles. So I think that is another trend I really love is, you know, nudging 
is helping the patient along their journey make the right decision. And when they make the right decision, they can benefit from that. I think everyone wins when you're able to do that, when you're able to prove the system on that fundamental level of the human condition. And then third, when we think about that reimbursement, that remuneration for value, I'm excited about the alternative payment models like value-based care. I think we've taken little, little, you know, dips in the shallow end of the pool. I think I've seen organizations, I've been in conversations with them that are ready to dive deeper. They just want that first use case, that first area, that first partner that they can, you know, jump in with in Q3 or Q3, Q4. And then when you can have a national prescribed scalable way to reimburse for these beyond the pill initiatives for digital therapeutics, and you're not trying to cram them into a Rx channel or a durable medical equipment channel, you're giving them their own method of reimbursement. I think that's going to help versus this programmatic coverage, payer by payer negotiation. I don't think that's scalable or that's super healthy for the system as a whole. You're kind of touching on some of these key trends and you know, you kind of discussed some of the solutions and how pharma manufacturers can really capture or innovate, capture value or innovate along these key trends. But maybe just to, to synthesize it and wrap it up for the audience, how do you think that these innovative pharma manufacturers can position themselves to take advantage of these larger macro trends within the industry? That's a good question. And, and that's why I often think about the clashing of cultures of the uh, consumerism or these startups going into the pharma value chain versus this historic molecular mindset, uh, chemical-based compounds that you're building, and you you have to get it right every single time. You have to re- reduce the errors. You have to strive for perfection. When we're thinking about the digitization for these innovative pharma, or they're looking to supplement their current programs or solutions, you have to start with the pilots and beyond the pilots, the proof of concepts, the speed to market. You have to quicken your cycle times. You have to iterate, you have to get the proof point, and you have to partner through failure. So you have to be willing to fail, to learn, to have that MVP. And that's something that can't necessarily be done in other channels of their business lines. But when you're thinking about the innovative digital pharma builders, I would hope that they're coming to market. They're not waiting for that big reveal. They're putting things out there and they're getting into the wild to understand it. But I I would also hope the most innovative companies are communicating with the FDA, whether it is putting devices through the breakthrough device program or the STEPS program, the Safer Technology Program for Medical Devices, working with the FDA Center of Excellence or their FDA collaborative community. I've been in a lot of conversations where there's a lot of activity happening and, you know, we're just starting that journey with the FDA. I think joining a, a group like Dime, the Digital Medicine Society or Digital Therapeutics Alliance DTA or Health Excel, building out that network and getting, you know, getting in the room with people who are also attracted to the same type of problem, motivated to really improve the system. I think that's when that kind of pollination and cross-pollination will turbocharge what's already happening in digital health. And and we know through the pandemic over the last, you know, 12 months, it's evolved. At, a, at 5x, 10x the speed that we were seeing uh, prior to the pandemic. And so in finance, they say never fail to take advantage of a, a good recession or a great recession or a crisis. We face a crisis. We're nearing the end of this crisis, hopefully, you know, fingers crossed with the vaccines. What have you done over the past 12 months that has really proved you're serious about innovating, about transforming the system? What teams have you put together? What different processes, frameworks, systems, scaffolding 
have you started to build to ensure you could be agile in this space, to make sure you're fostering the innovation required for the faster cyclical times, to move quicker? I love it. I love it, Ty. I mean, there's so much change going on and a lot of challenging new paradigm shifts for the industry and, and manufacturers. And it sounds like, you know, Medulin and, and I guess ZS Associates, maybe ZS Associates knew what they were doing when they, when they purchased you guys. But it sounds like you really have a solid understanding of this problem and different ways to solve it for your key customers, specifically the manufacturers. Maybe to wrap things up, if you give us a closing thought and the best place where listeners can connect and collaborate with you. Yeah, I would say, obviously, I'm coming from the outside. So some of my points may be a little naive. You know, it's not what you don't know that can hurt you. It's what you think you know that may end up hurting you. So it's it's about being open to ideas, taking analogs from different verticals or different industries, um, having that exploratory, playful, curiosity-driven mentality, focusing on not just fitting into the culture you're in, but furthering the culture you're, you're a part of. That's what gets me excited about the industry is there's so many new and different viewpoints that are at the table in these meetings I'm at. And again, the more diverse opinions, diverse voices, viewpoints that you can bring around the table, get into the room, tackle a challenge, I find that's when the most innovative programs are designed, developed, and executed. I would leave the audience with that. Always be learning. And don't be afraid to take the step into your digital transformation. And I can be uh, reached on LinkedIn. Awesome. Well, Ty, thank you for coming in today and joining the show. It was an absolute pleasure speaking with you and, and hopefully we'll get to chat again soon. Thank you. Really appreciate it.